If you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, the Scripture we're going to be looking at is in the inside cover of your bulletin. Um, Verse 15 is there uh, on the inside cover. That's what we're going to look at today. But we're going to start the reading in verse 8 to catch the context. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is God's Word. Okay, the series is Prepared for Persecution. And we've seen that persecution isn't just something that happens in ancient history, or happened in ancient history. It's not just something that happens in other parts of the world although it is happening right now in other parts of the world, but persecution also happens to us. And this is the definition of persecution that we've been using because we feel like it encompasses persecution in all of its forms. Pressure is per, I'm sorry, persecution is pressure to turn down the volume on Jesus. Okay? Persecution is pressure. So when people intimidate you, threaten you, harass you, punish you, ostracize you, or harm you, to have you turn the volume down, to get you to be quieter about Jesus, right? To tone you down, to silence you, to, to either disobey or to deny Jesus. That is persecution. And the question that we're trying to answer is, how do we keep the volume of Jesus at an appropriate level in our lives? Jesus wants us to have a confidence and a healthy boldness about Him and about the Gospel. And the key, as we began to see uh, in the series, is that it all depends on preparation. The key is preparation. And for those of you who were here last week and heard Chad preach an amazing sermon, um, just an amazing sermon, he gave this great illustration at the beginning. Right? You remember this? The quarterback who drops back for a pass and he's standing in the pocket and there are these 350-pound defensive linemen that are closing in on him. And in this moment, the quarterback is laser-like in his focus in the face of certain pending persecution. Right? Remember this? Chad said he'll most likely get hit, but he has to maintain that focus. And he said, we are that quarterback. We are that quarterback. Whether we're with our friends or our family members or we're at work, and the opportunity to share our faith or our testimony comes up, that's the moment. That's the moment where we are that quarterback. And we need to have the volume at an appropriate level. 
So the question for you today is, what do you do when you feel the pressure to be silent? Right? What do you do when you feel the pressure to be silent? Chad shared this quote last week. In crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. It's all about preparation. It's all about what you do before you're in the moment that determines what you do when you're in the moment. If you don't prepare, then you're going to fail. In the moment when we feel the pressure, we're either prepared or we're not. We've either done the work to prepare or we haven't. And the question that we're trying to answer is how. How do we prepare? And this is what our series has been. We've seen that we need discipleship community. We need people in our lives to encourage us to not turn the volume down. Second, we need a personal testimony. Right? We need to remember what God has done in our lives, the reality of who He is. Right? These things help us to prepare so that we can speak when the time is right. And then third, what we're going to look at today is that we need God's Word. Verse 15, this is what we're going to zoom, zoom in on today. Let me read it again. Paul says to Timothy, "...and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." And so here's what we're going to see today. If you're taking notes, this is the first blank in your, in your outline. We're going to see that the Bible's breadth makes us deep. Okay, the Bible's breadth makes us deep. And this is important because Timothy's need depth. Timothy's need depth. depth. And I say Timothy in the plural because in some ways we're all like Timothy. Right? Anybody that is trying to f- learn about Jesus, anybody who's a follower of Jesus, or someone who's even interested in exploring um, Jesus or the claims of Christianity, need depth. Right? Being a Christian isn't just slapping a Jesus sticker on your chest and then claiming that now everything in your life is great. Right? That's not what being a Christian is. Okay? Becoming a Christian is simple. Right? Becoming a Christian is simple. You commit to follow Jesus as your Lord. You confess your sins and you believe that Jesus died and rose again to forgive you and set you free. Right? Becoming a Christian is simple, but being a Christian takes depth. Being a Christian takes depth. It's not living on the surface, but being a Christian is opening your eyes to both the best and the worst of life. Okay, There is a depth of joy and of pain. It's celebration and mourning. And the Bible gives us this depth. The Bible gives us this depth. In verse 15, Paul calls the Bible sacred writings. See that? The sacred writings. And so, what does this mean? Well, the word sacred means that the Bible is different. Okay, the Bible is different. It's different from any other book in history. Right, the Bible is a collection of 66 letters or books, um, historical narratives, poetry. Right? It's a collection of books that are sacred. Right? They're special. The Bible is holy. Now, most people would agree that the Bible is different, but I think there's a twinge of guilt that occurs to me when I think about the Bible being sacred, right? Because you think about the things that are sacred in your life. Like, these are things that when they get brought up, you think, ooh, wait, wait, hold on a sec, right? Like, wait, wait there, there's a song that reminds you of a certain place, and it's kind of sacred, 
right? Or there is a smell that puts you back to a memory that's a sacred memory for you. And when you smell that smell, um, I remember the Seinfeld episode where Elaine was dating a guy and Desperado was his song. And every time it came on the radio, they'd be in the car driving and she's talking and he's like, hold on, and he's driving along. And she just, she's just silenced for the four minutes it takes the song to go, right? So it was sacred for him. Well, we all have things in our lives that are sacred, right? Experiences, memories, people in our lives, things that you just don't touch without stopping and saying, whoa, hold on. The Bible is sacred. The Bible is sacred. And I think we want to say that's true, but then we struggle a little bit, don't we? We struggle. I don't know if you have ever have an overly romanticized picture of yourself and the Bible, but when I think about, oh yes, the Bible is sacred, sometimes I think about, oh, okay, so this is how it is. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to get my Bible out and there's going to be somehow this ray of light on the desk, like shining on the passage that I just happen to want to read, right? And then I read it and God speaks to me so clearly and I pray back to Him the joy that I just received from His choice word directly applying to my life, right? And then I pray to Him uh, for myself and for others and then I get up and I'm lifted up the rest of the day and it's like nothing can touch me. Right? Is this anybody else's constant experience? Right? No, that's not how it is, but that's kind of how it feels like it should be, right? What's your real experience? Sometimes reading the Bible is hard, isn't it? Sometimes reading the Bible is frustrating, right? You read it, it feels like you get nothing out of it. There's all kinds of problems that we have in reading the Bible. And I know this because they happen to me too. Okay? Why is it so hard? I'm give you two reasons. Okay? Two reasons why it's so hard. First, it's because the Bible is old. Okay? Mo- uh, the Bible was written between 4,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago. Okay? Have you ever tried to read Shakespeare? Right? Shakespeare is just 400 years old, and the Bible's 4,000 to 2,000 years old. Right? It was written in a different time to a different culture. And sometimes it's hard to connect. Sometimes it's hard to know why it is that God wants to be so abundantly clear of where you're supposed to sprinkle the blood. Not just on the, on the altar, but also on the priest's earlobe and his right thumb and his right big toe. Okay? Alright. And so, there's things that are hard. But it's hard to connect. And this is why when you ever hear a teaching or a sermon where someone talks about what life was like back then, it sort of makes the Bible come alive, right? Because they're bridging the old gap. They're helping you, oh, okay, that's what it means, or that's what it's going on, so that's what it means. So sometimes reading the Bible is hard because it's old. But I think there's another reason. I think there's another reason. Reading the Bible is hard because I think that the Bible really accurately reflects our lives. I think God gave us a book that's a lot like the lives that we live. Okay, reading the Bible is hard at times because life is hard at times. Okay? Reading the Bible is um, frustrating at times because life is frustrating at times. Sometimes reading the Bible it seems like it takes a long time, right? We want to get it over with because our lives are that way, aren't they? There are things in our lives that we just wish were over, right? Sometimes reading the Bible feels like a chore because our lives are filled with things that are a lot like chores 
The reason the Bible at times is boring is because so often there are aspects of our lives that are boring. And I think that what God has done is He has given us a book that has actually helped us by mirroring for us what our lives are actually like. Parts of the Bible are confusing because life can be confusing. Right? There are your favorite parts of the Bible. You have favorite verses because your life is filled with some things that are your favorites. Your favorite foods, your favorite experiences, your favorite people. And I think that in this, these sacred writings, they invite us into a relationship that lasts a lifetime. Your relationship with the Bible is designed to last a lifetime. And when you think about it that way, I think it begins to shift something in your, in your heart, in your mind. Right? The best relationships in life, the best friendships, the best dating experiences, the best marriages, the best work relationships, the best um, sport, you know, where you're, you're hanging out and doing sports together, they're the ones that make it through the dry times. Aren't they? I mean, the people who have been in the, who have been in the worst and have come through it. Those are actually the best relationships. Right? Everybody says that quality time is birthed out of what? Quantity time. Right? There is no quality time without heaps and heaps and gobs and gobs of time spent together. Right? And quantity time sometimes is boring and difficult. Think about artists. Right? People who create they often say that the best inspiration comes from hours and hours and hours of work. And the commitment, the commitment to stay for the long term, that's what gives birth to real inspiration. That's what gives birth to, uh, to great relationships. It's true with people. It's true with art. It's true with reading the Bible. The Bible produces real depth, both from its content but also from our struggle to spend time with it. Are you with me? So if it's hard for you, you're not doing it wrong. If it's boring sometimes, you're not doing it wrong. If it's confusing at times, you're not doing it wrong. This is just part of your relationship with the Bible. And when I think about that, the Bible becomes sacred. Right? It's this sacred place for us to meet with God. Now, verse 15 goes on to say that these writings, these sacred writings, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so there's this wisdom. There's this wisdom that we're going to see. This wisdom about salvation. And this salvation comes in layers. Okay, it comes in layers. Do you know that you can summarize the Bible in four words? Uh, we used to teach our kids this. I don't know if they know this anymore, but um, we would teach them, hey, what's the Bible in four words? And they would say this. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, or restoration. We used to say consummation, now we change it to restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Okay? The Bible gives us a wisdom. It's not just teaching. It doesn't just tell us what to do so that we don't think anymore. The Bible gives us wisdom. And Wisdom is layered by nature. By nature, wisdom um, is layers. Because life fluctuates between being wonderful and being miserable, wisdom has layers. 
And I think, I think sometimes we don't ask this question out loud, but I think some people feel this way. Like, what do you think of, or what do you think the Christian life ought to be? Right? Which are we supposed to live? Are we supposed to live the triumphant Christian life or the life of the inescapably frustrated? Right? Which is it? Which is it? You know some people that seem to live more the triumphant Christian life, right? And nothing ever seems to bother them. They seem to always be in a good mood. And then you got other people that live the life of the inescapably frustrated. Right? Where they're always down. There's always a problem. There's always something. Like, which is it? Are, are either of these people doing it right or are they doing it wrong? Man, as with so much of Christianity, these aren't two options to choose from, but rather they're a tension that needs to be managed. Okay, this is a tension and the answer is both. We ignore either of these to our own peril. Okay? And to manage this tension, we need to understand these four layers. These four layers show us how our lives actually tell the story of the Bible, and they remind us of our experience of the Gospel. Let me put this one back up here. Um, let's just think about these four. Creation, right? Genesis 1 and 2, right? The first two pages of the Bible, and everything is awesome. Right? God built the world with beauty and wonder. And He called people to hard and satisfying work and then also celebrating rest. Thinking about persecution. Persecution was nowhere in creation because everyone was perfectly open about what they believed and what they thought and there was perfect harmony in relationships. Right? But then we have the fall. In Genesis 3, we have the fall. And so because of sin both sin that we have inherited and sin that we've committed, life has been cursed with frustration and futility. Okay? We want more than we have, and so we steal, and then we justify ourselves. We use others, and then we're used by others. There is real pain and brokenness in our lives, in the experiences that we have, right? In all aspects of life. We're not ignorant. We're not untouched by these things. And when you think about persecution, persecution comes from the fall. The reason that people are persecuted, the reason that you experience pressure to turn the volume down on Jesus, the reason you feel afraid to bring Jesus up in any situation, whether you're with people who aren't Christians or whether you're with Christians and you're just sort of ashamed or you don't know what to say or you think you're going to say something stupid, all of that pressure comes from the fall. It's because of sin in the world. People who are confused at best and evil at worst have been trying to eliminate God and His Word from the world from the time of the fall. But then we have redemption. right? Redemption, which is the bulk of the Bible, from Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 20. So, you know, like this. <laughs> right? It's all about redemption. Boy, why is that so long? Well, we need a lot of work. <laughs> It takes a lot to fix what the fall has broken. Right? Redemption. Redemption is the chapter of the story. It's the layer of reality that reminds us that God didn't give up on the world. He didn't give up on the world, but through His love, His love of people, His love of the world, Jesus brings a hope that sets us free from sin and renews us. Right? And so when you think about redemption in terms of persecution, Right? Persecution is some of the strongest evil that exists in the world. Right? And Jesus experienced the worst persecution for us. 
Right? He was constantly pressured to be silent. He was marginalized, ridiculed, slandered. He was then captured, tortured, and crucified. And what's amazing about the story of Jesus is that the height of his persecution, the torturous death of the cross, became the way that God saved the world from their sins. Man, and so, redemption. This tells the story that against the worst of the evil that the world can throw at us, Jesus proves that his strength is stronger. Jesus took it all for us. He did it for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be set free when we commit our lives to Him. That's the story of redemption applied to persecution, and it's not the end. It's not the end because the fourth layer, the fourth level is is restoration. And this is the end of the Bible. It starts with creation in two chapters. It ends with restoration, the last two chapters. The day is coming when all frustration and all pain will end. The day is coming when we will have a perfect relationship with God, where you will never hurt anyone else again. There's coming a day when you will be perfectly at peace with who you are. And perfectly at peace with others. When we respond today to the pain and the frustration with love and understanding, when we demonstrate a strength that doesn't buckle under the pressure of persecution, then our lives show that we are living for something else. Our lives show that there is something more to life and that there is something coming. And our life becomes a hint of the better life that is coming. And so that's, that's the chapter, that's the layer of restoration. And again, these four layers, they manage the tension between being too positive or too negative. Right? The gospel doesn't despair of evil or ignore its reality. The gospel gives us inexpressible joy. That's real. The Bible gives us a joy that is inexpressible, but the Bible gives us a joy recognizing that oftentimes that joy is birthed from incredible pain, from incredible anguish and suffering. And the deep wisdom of these layers makes us a blessing to others. Because as we experience this, as we stop hiding from the pain of the world, as we embrace the fullness of the joy of redemption, as we set our hearts on the coming restoration, we become a blessing to others because we can be honest about the reality of evil in the world. We can be honest about the frustration and the pain that we deal with. And yet we're not undone. Even though we're frustrated, we don't despair. Even though we're not always satisfied, we're content because our satisfaction comes from knowing and walking with God. And that gives us a layered salvation that speaks a good word to the city that we live in. Right? Too often, Christians either um, beat themselves to death and talk about, oh, woe is me, right, on one side, or they just act like everything is happy everything is good and nothing ever affects them. And both of these extremes end up alienating people who don't know Jesus because they think, you know what? Like, I just don't get where you're coming from. I can't connect to who you are or what your experience is. It just doesn't feel like me at all. But this, this layered approach, this wisdom approach produces a richly textured life. 
It produces a beautifully layered life. Man, these four layers enable us to make, make sense of a life that can be rewarding, frustrating, and hopeful, often at exactly the same time. Are you with me? Man. Timothy's. This Timothy and we as Timothy's. We get frustrated, we get angry, we get bitter, we want to give up. But when we understand the layers, we realize that, man, the frustration, the bitterness, the, the brokenness of life, this is actually how God adds the layers to us. This is how we experience this richly textured, beautifully layered life so that God can actually use us to be a blessing to others. And so Timothy's need depth. Our second point is that Paul's need marathon endurance. Okay? Paul's need marathon endurance. And I say Paul's here because Paul is the one speaking, but um, this relates to anyone who is trying to help somebody else to grow spiritually. Right? Paul's are those who are discipling others. Right? Paul's writing this letter. He's trying to encourage Timothy. He's trying to confront Timothy. He's trying to help Timothy get back to the place where he can be the person God wants him to be. Um, but in this passage, what's interesting is that I think Paul's are actually Timothy's mother and grandmother. Okay? And we know this because from verse 15 has these two words that show us um, that this layered wisdom comes directly from parents. Okay, this wisdom, this wise um, salvation, this layered salvation, it comes through parents. Because Paul says in verse 15, he says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So this is speaking directly to parents. And if you see parenting as the closest form of discipleship, then I think you're being wise. Uh, when the Bible speaks to parents and it talks to parents about what they're supposed to do, it's helping people understand what all discipleship looks like. Okay? Now, there's a little bit of difference when you don't have the authority of a parent, but the instructions that Paul gives to parents or the example that Paul sets up for us of parents in this passage is something that is applicable to everyone, including people who don't have kids. Right? If you don't have children, then God wants you to expand his kingdom by discipling other people. Okay? And so when you hear parenting, think of discipleship. And in the Bible, when you think of discipleship, you should hear parenting. Okay? From Timothy's birth, it says, he was acquainted with the sacred writings. They didn't have Bibles back then. Okay? They had, some of the towns had scrolls, and they were at the synagogue. Right? But there wasn't like a family Bible, not like us. We've got them on our phones, we've got them on our tablets, we've got them on our, our, we have actual Bibles. They didn't have copies back then. And yet, Paul makes it really clear that from his birth, he was acquainted with, he have, it actually, it's not even acquainted. Acquainted sounds a little bit like surfacy, Like, oh, we're acquaintances, but not really friends. That's not actually what the word means here. The word can also just be translated known in the sense of like a husband and wife know each other. Right? So it's that kind of known. He's saying, you know, you have known from your childhood. You've known the sacred writings. And so the question is, how? Right? How has Timothy known these things from birth? He's known them through his mother and his grandmother. His mother and his grandmother. I think... No, I didn't put that up there. Okay. <clears throat> so, 2 Timothy 1.5. So just a few chapters earlier in this letter, we saw this. 
I don't know, four or five months ago, Paul said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And so Timothy learned the faith. He learned the sacred writings from his mom and his grandma. Because he grew up in a family that loved God's Word, that understood God's Word, that lived God's Word. Because of the faith of his mother and his grandmother, Timothy has grown up knowing salvation, knowing this Scripture, knowing the Bible. And I said this you know, way back when we looked at chapter 1, but we don't hear anything about Timothy's father or, his, or, or about the faith of Timothy's father. Okay? We don't hear anything about the faith of Timothy's father. Okay? We don't hear anything about the faith of Timothy's father. Men, don't let this ever be said of you. Okay? There is no reason why. There is no reason why your family shouldn't know what you believe and how it affects your life. There is no reason. Your, your faith is a gift to the family. I mean, look, Lois and Eunice, the mother, the grandmother's faith, it actually saved Timothy. It raised him up to know Jesus and to understand and, and have a relationship with God. And so men and women in the family, like there is no reason why your faith shouldn't be abundantly clear to your children. Okay? <clears throat> so Timothy knew the Bible, even though they didn't have a Bible. He knew God's Word because he lived in a family that knew and practiced God's Word. And so, for parents or people who disciple others, this is marathon endurance. Okay? That's what it is. Giving your kids the Bible is not a sprint. Okay? If you get inspired and excited about sharing the Bible with them and you decide that you're going to spend every day for the rest of your life reading the Bible to them, awesome. That's awesome. Pace yourself. Okay? Pace yourself. Build good habits. Don't kick yourself if you only get to it three or four times a week. Okay? Make sure that you realize that it's a marathon. Right? It's a marathon. You've got roughly 18 years where they're in your home, um, and then your relationship with them changes. Sometimes it changes before then. Um, but it's a marathon. And so, parents, you want to live under the sacred writings. Right? It's the same thing that we just saw above for Timothy's. For you, um, you need to live in a way that shows that the Bible's different. Let them see in your life that the Bible is sacred to you. Okay? Because what they see in you, they will catch. Even more than what you say. And if there's a difference between what you say and the way you live, they're going to watch what you live. It's going to be so much louder than what you say. Okay? And so the Bible will be sacred to them if it's sacred to you. Okay? And then again, wisdom. This wisdom that Paul presents, it, it, the salvation uh, for our kids, again, it comes in layers. It comes in layers. Parenting is raising your kids in this layered story so that it produces layered people. Right? These are the layers. This is why it's important to understand the big picture. Right? Because this relates to parenting. Right? This relates to all discipleship, but specifically to parenting. Right? Think about creation. I mean, I want to teach you how to think wisely about parenting. Because doesn't this explain a lot of it? Doesn't it explain all of it? 
right? That in the beginning, man, parenting was amazing, right? And, and there's flashes of this at times, <laughs> right? It's this beautiful thing where parents reproduce a child, right? Where life comes from life, where the God who speaks forth life is filled with human beings who produce life, right? There's a beauty in that, the preciousness of little children, right? The amazing way that even when they cry, you're like, oh, that's so cute at first, at first, right? That's chat, this is the first layer, right? Um, but then there's the fall, right? Do I have to convince anybody here about the fall when it comes to parenting? Hey, so guess what? Like, part of the struggle of parenting is that God wants you to not ever forget that the fall is one of the layers of life. And so if you're experiencing frustration, if you're experiencing difficulty in your parenting, it's possible that you're not doing it wrong. It's possible that you're not doing it wrong. Frustration and pain are part of the story that our lives are telling. Okay, but then redemption. Redemption reminds us of the story that Jesus loved us so much that he endured the evil that we have committed. And by his powerful and persistent love for us, he changes us. Right? Well, what does that look like in parenting? What does it look like for parents to have a powerful and persistent love for their children? Over time, it will change them. And restoration. We know that there's a day coming when it's all going to end. When all the frustration will end. We know that there will be a day when our kids won't... Hmm. There'll come a day when we'll actually have complete control over our emotions. Right? Complete control of, you know, and patience um, with other people, with our kids. Right? Sometimes it's not them. Sometimes it's us. Right? All of us are bound in sin. Right? We are trapped and we're held captive by it until Jesus sets us free. And so sometimes God reminds us of our sin so that we'll be reminded of Jesus and we'll go running to Him and realize, oh, what our kids need is exactly what I need. Because when that happens, I approach them so much differently. Fill in the blank child's name. Okay, here's what you did and here's what I did. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have responded this way. My heart is bound in sin just like yours. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I need you to apologize for what you've done so that together we can go to Jesus and have him clean us both up. Right? That's a conversation that comes right out of redemption and restoration. This is the multi-layered wisdom of, I think, the best kind of parenting and the best kind of discipleship. This is the kind of wisdom that all of us need if we're going to disciple others, whether they're in our family or they're not. Um, this is the kind of multi-layered wisdom that helps us to face persecution. Right? Because it's not going to surprise us anymore when it comes. Because we can account for it. We know that persecution happens because of the fall. We know that some people are either confused and don't want to hear about Jesus, or there are people who hate Jesus and, and want His name to be removed from the earth. And in those moments, um, we don't need to be obnoxious. 
but we can humbly say, this is what we believe, this is where we stand, um, and this is the hope that we have because this is what Jesus has done for us. When we respond that way, there's power. There's power in it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for giving us a book that mirrors our lives so well. And we do confess, Lord, now with greater sense of it's okay to confess this to you, but we confess together that there are times where the Bible is difficult to understand. There's times where the Bible is boring. And we don't say this in any way to, we just want to be honest with you. God, we know that you are holy. We know that you are wonderful. We know that in your grace and your love, um, we have just begun to scratch the surface of the depth of the lengths that you have gone to save us from our sins and to set us free. And yet we struggle. We struggle with this book. And we thank you that in our struggle, you meet us even there. We thank you that we can commit to you for the rest of our lives. And I pray that we would do that. Jesus, as you come to us now, as you, as you look at each one of us, help us to commit ourselves again to your book. Help us to commit ourselves uh, to this word that you have given us so that we uh, would see it and treat it as sacred and so that we would find this multi-layered story coming true in our lives. We need you. We need you and we thank you for meeting us in this place and we pray that this week you would strengthen us as individuals and also you'd strengthen our families so that we would live in a way that shows that we believe that your word is sacred. And all of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.